This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. In Braves country, we are so excited for you to meet our new proud sponsor, Billy Reed. Now, Billy is an award-winning fashion designer who is redefining global style from his home base in the Shoals in Alabama. He is also a diehard baseball fan who grew up cheering on the Braves, and he offers a line of Atlanta-inspired hats, t-shirts, and accessories that embody the soul of our city. Billy and his team craft luxurious, made-in-the-USA shirts, denim, and more, all with a timeless modern style that will have you wearing them again and again. Experience them for yourself at his two Atlanta shops, one in Buckhead and one at White provisions or discover them online at billyreed.com that's billyreed r-e-i-d.com Welcome, everybody, to a very special postseason edition of Behind the Braves, presented by Billy Reed, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast from MLB.com, virtually via Zoom, alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael, uh, and more importantly, somebody who uh, knows what it's like to pitch in the postseason and uh, what a different beast and a different animal that is. And thankfully, we finally, as we're recording this, we finally got that whole... uh, Hasn't won a playoff series in 19 years since 2001 thing. We finally got that off our backs, which that feels pretty darn good. Um, Thinking back to our last episode, I think I said on there that I felt like we were going to get past the first round this time. And I didn't really think too much about it after the fact. And now that it is over, I'm kind of like, thank goodness we we won that series because I really didn't want to be the guy on tape that's saying, ah, this is the year. And then we get, you know, knocked out in the first round again. So thank goodness. Uh, well, Greg, what – I guess before we look ahead to the Marlins, I mean, just first thoughts on the wild card series uh, with, the, with the Reds. Uh, what, what, what are just your, your initial thoughts on, on that series? Well, I personally loved it because I was actually there watching it at the game. So they invited the staff and the family um, of the players to be able to come out and watch the game. That was pretty exciting. I was literally right behind the home plate about five rows deep and watching Bauer versus Freed pitch. It was phenomenal until Major League Baseball made me move. Uh, That was my assigned seat. And then I guess they didn't want to see anybody behind home plate, so they moved me like three times or the people that were with, with us. And I ended up having to go sit over to the side. But, man, what a great series. And, you know, the playoffs always come down to, of course, you've got we had the top 16 teams and now we have the top eight teams, but when you have the best teams, you've got the best pitching staffs and just the overall teams that have played the best. So it's not unusual to have a pitching duel and everything, but 
But man, it always seems to come down to a few breaks here and there. And if you look at the Reds, they I think they left more people on base, uh, left you know people stranded than we did. We had a couple clutch hits. Uh, there was a base running mistake by the Reds. There was a couple base running errors. And, you know, it always comes down to the little things. And, and I, I was listening to Alex Anthopoulos today. He was on one of our calls just talking to us, previewing what was coming up. And, and literally, when you look at the playoffs, it does come down to some of the small details. It's how you play defense. It's, um, you know, did you turn that double play? Did you, um, did you have a, you know, leadoff walk? Uh, was there a base running error? Was there a misplayed ball in the outfield? There's always something that happens. And sure enough, look at the unbelievable pitching duel between Bauer and Freed. Went on for 13 innings. There were plenty of opportunities for the Reds to win that game early. There were plenty earlier than there, there were plenty of opportunities for us. But I think that the Reds are really kicking themselves with missed opportunities more so. I mean, they had bases loaded, I think with one out, no outs, uh, one or two times. And then the second game, we didn't blow it out. We didn't blow it up until, you know, late in that game. So that series could have gone either way. And I I would imagine that even though we – I think we're six and four against the Marlins, there's going to be some key moments, and we just need to look for those key moments in this series where if it goes our way, um, we're going to win. If it goes the Marlins' way, then, you know, they're going to win. But – I, I just don't – I don't look for blowouts in, in the postseason. You know, I think they're going to be – there may be a 7-8 to eight game or there may be a 5-4 to four game or there's probably going to be a 2-1, to one, one and nothing game. But uh, they seem to always be close and there's not going to be some of these like 29-run games like what we had up in Boston. That's just – I hope I'm wrong in our favor, but it probably is not going to happen. Well, that, and that was again, no, that was here in Atlanta against Miami, uh, that 29 run game. Granted, we scored a zillion. Oh, what was the one in Boston? That was, I can't even remember now. There was, I thought that, that was a ton of runs too. I thought there, all there, there was a ton. Cause you had the two, the back-to-back three home run games by Duvall. That's right. Zuna, or I guess it was flip-flopped. I think it was. That in, was a lot of runs too up there. Okay. Was, the 29 runs. You're right. 29 was against the Marlins. That's right. Um, but the Marlins have clearly shown this year they're they're no pushover. I mean that that was one game that was a fun game, but this is obviously the slate's clean now. So um, I thought the irony of the the Red series, like if if we have one glaring weakness our whole season, it was starting pitching. And what are we going to do about starting pitching? And I mean we're I don't want to say pulling guys off the street to get in the rotation, but it was in. in Kind of in the baseball world, that's kind of what we were down to. I mean, we're just just looking for warm bodies. And, you know, Max ends up being healthy, thank goodness. Uh, he didn't pitch a whole lot those last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, but he was healthy and went toe-to-toe with Trevor Bauer. Uh, Ian Anderson, I think we've now reached the point with him where, yes, he's a rookie. Yes, he's only got, what, seven, eight starts in the big leagues at this point. Uh, we knew that in your debut, you go up against Garrett Cole, arguably the best pitcher in the game, or at least one of the best pitchers in the game in the Yankees, and you throw a one-hitter, and the one guy who got you, Luke Voigt, has gotten just about everybody this year with with his power. Um, so you kind of felt good about that with his debut. But then to come out and, and do what he did in the postseason, and his first postseason start, that's uh, I think that says a lot about him. We've mm-hmm. talked about him and his makeup before. 
we've seen it time and time again. The postseason, it just it's a different feeling. And I know there's not fans in the stands or everything, but if I can feel it sitting there watching, if I know in my feeling because it's a postseason, it just feels different and the pressure is different and you're you're hanging on every pitch. Fans in the stands or not, I still felt that watching the game. So I know those guys out there in the field felt it, and I know that man on the mound feels it. Um, and he was just – he looked unflappable. He just looked like he was just out there just cruising along, not even bothered in the least by it. So, to me, looking – I guess looking ahead, Kyle Wright certainly becomes the uh, – to me, he's the big – to me, he's the big, uh, not wild card, but he's kind of the big X factor. Big X factor, thank you. The big X factor in this whole thing because I'm not saying that Max and Ian are going to go out there and be perfect again. They might get beaten. Who knows? But I feel good with them going out in the mountain. It's just Kyle looked awesome those last few starts of his. Now, is he going to do what Ian did and take that in the postseason? Is he going to do what Max did and take that in the postseason? Um, so that's, that's a big key for me. No off days. Uh, if it goes five games and that's five days straight, that's going to be interesting to see how that works. Um, but I'm trying to think, you know, in that Red Series, just I, I'm so proud of our two starters in that series and just how well they performed. Our bullpen's been great all year. Our bullpen, one man to the next man, was absolute nails in that two-game series against the Red. And yes, it was a two-game series, but that first game was long enough that at least – it felt like three kind of, games. <laughs> that felt like a three-game series in of itself. And our guys, yeah. every man out there from the guys at the back end, the Melanson, Green, Martin, those guys, Tyler Matzik. AJ, AJ Matzik. Matzik was friggin' – that guy, I was – man, he was great to see what he did. And his yeah. whole story is, is, is pretty cool, just what he's come back from and managed to oh, make yeah. the big leagues and now a big contributor. Um, but it's just so funny with this team all year. I mean, the offense has been the big story. We've talked about the bullpen and all that, but the offense has been the the star, the prize pig of the team, if you will. Um, <laughs> but the pitchers, more than anybody, I feel like got it done in that series. And if they can carry that into this next series against the Marlins, I love our chances. Love our chances. Yeah, well, the Marlins, they have some good young talent uh, on the pitching mound as well as we do. And, you know, I think that I think the thing that's helping these young pitchers is that there is something to be said for the fan base. When you're playing at the stadium of the home team and you've got 40,000 fans that are all fired up, there's a there's an adrenaline that's different than being in a stadium in a neutral site with no fans. So that's the thing that's going to help the Ian Andersons and help the Kyle Wrights and even and, – and to be honest, to help the Marlins pitchers who are young. You know, Sexto, uh, Sanchez, and um, they've got a couple other young guys that um, – is that how to pronounce his name right? <laughs> it's, it's, I was trying to keep him laughing. Sexto. Sexto. <laughs> I, we're on Zoom, and I looked down. I was trying to keep him laughing. I was just like, all right, do I let this – You were just going to edit that out and not tell me, right? <laughs> I hadn't even gotten that far yet. My thing at the moment was just like, I just, I'm just going to try to keep him laughing. <laughs> All right, six toe. <laughs> I'm leaving all this in there now, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mr. Sanchez. There you go. I think all those guys, they're going to be um, – not have to suffer the consequences that a normal – and when you think about what Steve Avery did back in the early 90s 
where he's pitching, you know, um, against the Blue Jays and against the Twins, and the and that place is just going crazy in Toronto. They're going crazy in Minnesota. That is an extra layer of pressure and an extra layer of um, intensity that these guys are not experiencing. They all have their internal pressure of wanting to do well, playing a good team, and then now the layer of playing the playoffs. But they don't have the added pressures of of the media. They don't have the pressures of all the things that you have to do with the fans for these games. I think that's going to help our young players, but it's also going to help the young the young players across the board. And then being in a neutral site, I mean, that, that, that never happened. You know, football does that, but they don't experience the same type of, you know, issues that we do as baseball players by, you know, home team versus, you know, throughout the whole playoffs and in the World Series. So I think it's making it a little easier for these young guys. So I don't play as much – I don't put as much stock in, you know, and Ian Anderson struggling – when he went to New York and he played against the Yankees, but he didn't have to deal with Yankee Stadium. He's going to be able to pitch in Arlington and pitch in, in um, you know, at Minute Maid Park in Houston. And I think he's going to do fine. I think he just proved that he's already pitched there so because he doesn't have that extra layer. And I think it's just only going to help. So I, I'm saying that that factor is not going to be there as much that it would be um, in normal cases. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm to the point that even with fans, I'm not, I'm not worried about Ian, uh, in at all, really. And I hope that we get to that next round because, you know, in the NLCS and the World Series, there will be some fans there. I think what, around ten thousand, if I if yeah. I heard correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully, we presumably you'd have some fans, some Braves fans in attendance, and yeah, it's not the same as a full house, but then there'd be some be some people there. So that'll be. Hopefully we yeah. get to experience that a little bit, but uh, that'd be good for the players to have some real crowd noise. <laughs> yes, yes, it will be. It'll Piped be good for stuff. all of us. It'll be good for yeah. all of us. Yeah, there were just there were so many things I was so proud of uh, in the Cincinnati series that I look forward to carrying over to the, the Miami series. Uh, Freddie, of course, just it, it, look the MVP is based on regular season. We know that the voting is you know it's done and, and all that, but him having the the walk off hit in game one, just it's. I think we've talked about it before and touting his MVP candidacy. It seems like guys like him that are consistent and are always in the top five or top ten in voting. Sometimes it just takes the perfect storm of everything kind of coming together, uh, and in a season for them to win the award. And I think that's happened for him. And another thing is, in that perfect season of all these things coming together, it feels like there's a few moments spread throughout that are just feels like MVP. Mm-hmm. moments he had it uh with the walk off towards the end of the regular season during the the last homestand and it was just fitting that he walked off that that uh that for that game one mm-hmm. um uh well, you can't bullpen. tell me that it doesn't influence a person who's voting to see this guy continue to perform even he takes his team into the playoffs he he you know has a walk off homer or walk off hit in the in the first round, and then he's going, you know, he gets to go the second round. It, it can't, you're only human. I and mean, the people who are voting, the more they see that guy's name and the more they see him being successful, it's got to play into it as opposed to the guy that his team finished, you know, 18th and he's sitting at home, you know, and he's not, they're not thinking about him. So I, I personally think it, it does feel that way. Like you're saying, it feels like an MVP season his name keeps coming up and coming up and coming up. And I think that only bodes well for him. 
Yeah, I, I remember being a kid back in the uh, the 90s, and I can't remember uh, which player it was. Uh, maybe it was maybe it was Tiki Barber, Rondé Barber, or somebody like that. But anyways, from Virginia football team in, in the mid-90s, mid-early 90s, uh, there was a guy early on the season who was, who was doing pretty well, and there were some possible, like, Heisman – whispers and rumors around and I remember somebody and again I'm a kid so I'm learning about this I remember somebody saying uh, somebody else around talking about how Virginia was putting together like these press kits or these things that they would then mail out to potential voters to help tout his kids uh whoever it was Heisman like their Heisman candidacy and I was and I was kind of like wait what that's a thing like don't <laughs> they just watch the thing and then they vote on who they think's the best and then i as I've grown up and become an adult, I realize like it's, it's yes, they, the voters do that, but you're also kind of naive. If you think that a little bit of press and making sure that these guys' names are in front of the voters or as much as possible, doesn't play a part in it. And that's not, I'm not shaming voters or anything like that. I think it's just human nature. And it's, I look at it now through the lens of social media, like, we should pump out Freddie stats as more often than usual from like the Braves account, because there's going to be voters, particularly on the national scene who are going to see these tweets, especially if it's a tweet that gets shared or an Instagram post to get shared. Like all the writers are on all this stuff too, and they're looking through it and it's showing up on their timeline. And so the more you're able to put that in front of the voters, and I don't think there's any shame in that either, because I think Freddie is legitimately should be the national league MVP, but it's also, it's also our duty, I think, on the marketing side of things to help facilitate that and help get those numbers in front of as many voters right. as possible and to get that information out there. So, yeah. Um, well, and this there's is, a and reason. I work, what's that? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was just, I was going off on a tangent there. I mean, I'm really just all starting with how glad I was that if, you know, Freddie got that hit in game one, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that there's a reason um, why players from, the West Coast and the East Coast tend to win more awards because there's a lot of writers on the West Coast, specifically L.A. area. And if you look at New York, there's a lot of writers there. And traditionally, they've won more because um, because they see them more often, you know, and they're, they're more invested in them. Whereas if you're in Kansas City, it's a lot more difficult for them um, to see them play on a daily basis or – you know, so they're not going to, it's just human nature. They're not going to get as many votes. So I agree. You have to do more marketing. If you are a player from Atlanta or you're a player from Kansas city, or if you're a player from Houston, I think you've got to do more, even though nowadays with the social media and with national broadcasts, it's a little easier than it was. But if you look back over the last hundred years, it's not always been the case, but I just think that you still have to do more. And I think it's only appropriate because you just, you know, there's not as many writers in Atlanta. I mean, we had one, we have one newspaper and, you know, you go to, I played, I played in New York. And, and so there's good with the bad. There's 30, 30 people from 30 different uh, publications that are there after each game and you're having to deal with in Atlanta, you dealt with two, you know, at the most. And, um, you know, so it is different, but I agree with you. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's just part of it. And I think we should be, we should be marketing Freddie and letting everybody know. And, um, cause you can do all the talk you want, but if nobody sees it, then it doesn't help. Yeah. He's definitely well-deserving. Absolutely. 
Uh, in game two of that Cincinnati series, of course, we got a run a little earlier in the game, certainly earlier than the 13th, thank goodness, but uh, got that run. But then kind of went ahead and closed it really – took care of it and and wrapped it up in the eighth inning on two big home runs. And it was great to see that the two guys who hit those, it was appropriate, Ozuna and Duvall, who've been such huge parts of this, this dynamic offense we've had this year. Um, and especially after they both kind of, they, I mean, yes, it was just two games, but everything gets magnified so much in the playoffs. They both had been scuffling through those first two games. And then they both broke out right when we needed them to. Mm-hmm. Um and snap some some selfies uh, of themselves, which uh, <laughs> I see you shaking your head. Uh, let's get into that real quick because <laughs> Bauer did the little bit of the, the Conor McGregor walk off the mound, and he did more than that. Well, he was, but then that's him. That's who he is. He was chopping. He, he did a chop. Yeah, you know, he he he's he's full of himself. That's for sure. Yeah. So I. To me, I didn't mind as much if both sides. I know Freddie was asked about how how Bauer acted, and he's like, "Hey, the guy went out there and shut us down yeah. for most eight innings. If he does that, like, more power to him. I got no problem with that." He's like, "We won, and that's, I, I'm, you know, I'm happy with that." So, listen, I've always taken the approach: don't give your opponent any more ammunition than he needs. Right. These are all professional athletes. Why would you ever try to motivate somebody to be better? than they are. Why turn a 240 hitter into a 260 hitter or, you know, a a, a 500 pitcher into a 750 pitcher because you're motivating them. So I've just never been, I've only seen a handful of professional athletes that could do that. The Michael Jordans, the um, Muhammad Ali's, uh, you know, the Deion Sanders guys that could talk it and back it up, but there's not many other guys that can do that. So yeah, Trevor Bauer got to walk off the mound and, and do everything, but guess what? He's he's home with two L's. So uh, and his team's not going anywhere. So I, I just have always taken the approach. I didn't want to make anybody better than they are. If they're asleep, keep them asleep. Don't wake them up. And and you know, um, everybody's looking for an edge. And so I think but when when Marcel did that, he took the selfie. I think it was pretty much over at that point, you know, but, but Bauer was doing that way too early first game of the playoffs. And, you know, you're just, I don't know. I just always felt like you're asking for it. I was never felt like that. I was good enough. I didn't want to turn anybody into a better player. I I wanted to keep them exactly where they were, make them worse. Well, okay. Well, shifting gears a little bit. I did want to ask you uh, focusing on one reliever. I wanted to ask you about what you saw. Um, Will Smith, who we, we've had on behind the Braves, we had him on right after he signed here last offseason. Um, he was out for a while at the beginning of summer camp. Uh, uh, he was a, he tested positive for COVID. I don't, I don't remember ever hearing if he was – sounded like from what I heard he was mostly asymptomatic, but he just couldn't get a, a negative test. And I, and I don't know. Don't, you know, don't use that as fact. I, I, that's just the way I understood it. I could be wrong. Um, but either way, even whether he was symptomatic or not, he was just much later than everybody else being able to be with the team and get get his regular workouts in and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when he really when he made his debut, I mean, he I think he been at the alternate site for briefly, um, but went ahead and came up and 
he wasn't giving up many hits, but he was just giving up a lot of long balls. I think that at one point it was like he'd given up 11 hits and seven of them were home homers or something like mm-hmm. something crazy like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it looked like, especially early on, the velocity wasn't quite to what we're accustomed to seeing out of him. He was still getting built up essentially, but he's another one that you talk about, boy, he finally seems like he's back to full strength at the right time. Uh, I thought he looked that certainly that's easily the best we've seen him look in a Braves uniform uh, in that series against the Reds. I thought he looked outstanding. That slider of his was doing what the, the Will Smith slider does. Uh, Velocity looked good. Uh, He looked exactly like the guy that we gave a big three-year contract to, to me. So I was just curious what you saw out of him. Well, listen, he's a hoss. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's a big guy. Uh, He's had all kinds of success It was strange how things just really developed later for him because he it took him longer to get through his protocols, which was kind of odd. And then when he even came back, the bullpen was chiming so well, he really didn't get an opportunity. He was pitching maybe once a week, and relievers need to be going, feel like at least getting up and warming up every day, every other day. And there just wasn't many opportunities for him. So what I saw is just that the breaking ball was hanging. It wasn't sharp. The fastball velocity was down two to three miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, late September, he turned it on. And you start to see things get crisper. And the velocity jumped back up to 96, 97, 90, 95 to 97. So I, I didn't panic from that perspective because I kind of could see some rustiness in him but man he's a competitor and he's exactly what we needed so just I mean if we needed somebody else in the bullpen I mean we've got those guys firing on all pistons and then Jacob Webb comes back and he's just I mean so I don't know man this bullpen is just rock solid and the way things were looking we were going to depend on them heavily because we weren't sure about our our starting staff but now you get these couple rookies coming in there and they're giving us five six innings and then with that bullpen man if they can keep doing that look out all we got to do is think about that four hole uh from a starting standpoint and uh you know if Bryce can give us four or five innings from that then I I think we're as good as anybody I was watching I was reading the power rankings today and a couple publications the Bleacher Report and ESPN and they had us basically right in the middle of the pack so we were five in both of their power rankings and not no overall power, you know, as it relates to defense, pitching, and offense. And it all came back to our starting pitching. They just don't know what we're going to get out of these young guys. And that's that's going to be a pleasant – I think it's going to be a pleasant surprise. And if we do that, man, we're right there hanging with anybody. I, I totally agree. Um, I would love nothing more than to – win this next series in three and then have to worry about a game four starter in the LCS. That would of course be the dream scenario, but it's, that's the playoffs. It's hard to do that. It's just, that's hard to sweep in. Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't want to do that because it would be too long. Somebody needs to start because at some point in us in the world series, you're not going to be sweeping, you know, uh, these teams, their teams are too good. So you need those, get those guys some reps. So I'd like to see us go three and one you know, um, in the next, in the next two rounds. And then, you know, we go to the world series and we go, you know, we go four and one, well, I'm sorry, four and one, four and one. So 
Maybe we do that. I'm going 30404. <laughs> I'm, I'm greedy. <laughs> my nerves, my nerves took enough. And game the 13 inning game one did a number on me and my stuff. Yeah. Well, I I was yeah. Personal personal note here. I, that was two days after hernia surgery for me. So my stomach was in ultra, ultra knots during that game. And uh there are just only so much painkillers can do. I'll leave yeah. it. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is I, I never really panicked in that game one, even when they had bases loaded, because all I was thinking was just give up one run and let this offense go to work. Because all year we've done that. We give up three, we score four. We give up two, we score we score three. We give up one, we score two. So I was just hoping that there wasn't going to be just a blowout in one of those innings. And so then, because we were home team, so we were going to come up last. And that's the beauty of it. Now, uh, at this next round, we're the home team again because, you know, we're the higher seed, which is great. I just think with our offense, if the pitching staff have kind of taken this approach, this mindset this whole season, if the if the pitching staff can just give up one and not two, two and not three, then your offense is so good that they can make up that deficit. The worst thing you can do is have these crooked number innings to where you, you kind of demoralize your offense. But – it hasn't always happened that way because our offense has been incredible. But in the playoffs, we got to keep it to single digits as far as what we give up, on, you know, on an inning and let the let the let the offense go to work. But so I didn't really panic during that first game, but um, but you know I was concerned when all of a sudden you have bases loaded, no outs, and and then when you get out of it, man, it just it just uh, changes the whole dynamic of the of the game. A couple things on, on that note on, on what you just said there. I felt like the play in particular where the Reds ran themselves out of the inning where Aquino was trying to come home, um, I thought that was one of those things where I think the Reds are definitely a team on the rise. I think, you know, I know Bauer is a free agent and who knows if he's back or not, but still they've got a young core there. They're kind of like us. They've built that young core with the Senzels and, the, and those kind of guys of the world that that they're setting themselves up to hopefully be a, con, like a postseason contending team for the next few years. But you could tell, to me, that was one of those plays where I know it's just one play, but it still felt like a play that was indicative of that's still a team, a team that's not quite there as far as really contending for going and making a deep run. Uh, whereas we are, we've got, we've been to the playoffs a couple of times. We've gotten knocked out in the first round a couple of times. And the last one year, last year's was in 2019 was especially brutal. So you've got that taste in your mouth and you've got another year of experience. And I was just so proud of like, I know they're big leaguers and they're supposed to know how to do this stuff, but sometimes, especially in a big moment like that, like it's, you see stuff like that, especially in those Benny Hill plays where the Benny Hill music starts playing up. You see people just blow it all the time where something <laughs> yeah. crazy happens and the guy ends up scoring or whatever, and our guys didn't blink and took yeah. care of it. And that was just a play where I thought this is kind of indicative of our side is we're a little bit more seasoned as far as mm-hmm. ready for moments like this when they happen. Um Now, I will back up a little bit and say I think what a lot of people, and this isn't just me, a lot of people were kind of afraid of us having to play the Reds in that first wild card series, that first round, because it was a best of three, because whatever else the Reds have, whatever strengths, weaknesses, whatever, they had a couple of studs that were going to be starters for them. Bauer, probably going to be the Cy Young or whatever. Thoughts on him, whatever you think about him, and believe me, he's – 
I think he's probably the most polarizing guy in Major League Baseball right now. But whatever we all think about him, whatever our opinions of him are, he's probably going to win the Cy Young this year. And he's got the numbers and the stats to back to back that up. So in a three-game series, you run into one or two studs or one or two aces like a Bauer. Well, they had three. And they had, they had three. Sun, they had Sonny Gray coming back for the third game, which I think that clearly would have given them the advantage. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's what was so scary about them is like maybe you don't feel as bad facing them in a, in a best of seven or whatever, but a best of three, you're just sitting there going, man, this is going to be tough. So to overcome that, I felt like was uh, has to be a huge – huge boost for our guys. I, I've just, I don't know. I've seen it so many times where just one or two starting pitchers can just put a team on their back in the postseason. And, you know, I don't know how far, like if the Reds had gotten past us, I don't know how far they would have gone, but you got two or three guys like that to, to be able to beat them and overcome that in the first round. To me, I feel like that has to give you such an even bigger boost of confidence moving forward. Like that you we beat the Cy Young Award winner game one, or at least we didn't lose to him, put it that way. You ended up winning extras, but our guy, our ace hung right there with him. We went toe-to-toe with him. He didn't beat us. The second guy who got to him, got him out of the game, he didn't beat us either. So, listen, the, Mar- the Marlins, don't their starters are nothing to, to sneeze at, but I feel like – They're not those two guys. Now, they, yeah. some of them have pitched as well as that, but not on a consistent basis. And they're young. So. You don't know what you're going to get. Six though, six though, six though. He's a guy, man. I, I tell you, against us and a couple other times, I've tuned in and watched him. He's as uh, some of the kids out there would say, he's a dude. He's uh, he's. Yeah. I think he's the real deal, and he's tough. But I think he's going game three uh, for them. But um, yeah, I don't know. What are there is are, so coming into that Marlins series? What are you looking at? What are you keyed in on most as far as what we need to do to to beat them. I mean, was there – we all know – I mean, there's all all facets of the game just like there is in every series, but is there one thing that you're looking at that you think is the real key to that whole thing? Well, I think we match up with them. I think we match up with them from a starting pitching standpoint. Um, I think our bullpen's a little bit better, and I think our offense is better. I think if, for, if all things are even – and our and our offense just steps up, then we should be fine. And you know, in this five game series, we just can't have uh, all of a sudden, you know, Max pitch well, and then Ian and um, you know our third and fourth guys don't pitch well. I think we if we just we hang with them and we hand the ball off to the bullpen and we do the same game plan we've done for the most of the year. We our starter gets five or six innings and we hand it off the bullpen and our, our, uh, our lineup scores four, four or five runs. I think we're going to do fine. We'll win. That's our formula for success, but I don't think we can, um, you know, we can give up six or seven runs and try to come back every time. Cause I think these guys, they've got a pretty good starting staff and they're a pretty good team. They're well-managed. And um, I think we just need to play our game. The one thing that scares me is that we we did we handled them pretty well during the season, and sometimes that can come back to haunt you because you could be maybe a little bit overconfident. That happened with us in the Phillies in '93, 
they just always played us tough, but we came out on the on the positive end. And then in the playoffs, they played us tough, and they got a couple breaks. And Alex said it well today on our call. He said baseball during the playoffs comes down to a few key moments, whether it's a defensive play, whether it's getting that man in from third uh, with less than two outs, whether it's moving the runner over, things that we haven't done well. We've been relying on the home run ball. and We've been relying on the big innings. That does scare me in the playoffs because that typically doesn't win for you. You can't rely on the home runs. You've got to do some of the little things. Our defense, we're going to do the little things. I think um, our base running, we do the little things. I think our pitching, we've, over these last few weeks, we've done the little things. But my offense, our offense, we haven't done the little things, and that's the one thing that scares me. The Marlins seem like that they've done the little things a little bit better because they haven't relied on the home run, and they do have good base running. They do have speed. Now, they lost Marte. I think he's got a broken pinky. So I think he's if he's not out, he's not going to be very good. Um, and he's kind of a starter for those guys. I mean, he's a he's a key guy. So that that you know that helps us too. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it'll be we're taping this uh, on uh, Monday night, and I believe the roster, the Braves roster, probably won't be out till tomorrow morning, a couple hours, a few hours before first pitch. Um, I, I would expect that, and I think Snit has said this. I would expect we'll see. You know, we had a lot of uh, a lot of position players on the twenty-eight man roster for the wild card series. I think we'll see a couple. I think we'll see a couple more pitchers added, and, and a couple of those position players probably. Oh, really? Okay. I think that's that's probably what's going to happen. Um, and it, it, if you're facing the the, if you're looking at possibly having to play five days in a row. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. Especially with the DH, with the DH sure. play. I mean, don't get me wrong, that 13 inning game, you still ended up making a few moves here and there. But I, I feel like um, in five days in a row, if you're facing that as a possibility, I think you got to bring up. Yeah. I could be wrong, but that, that's kind of my thought is I think that you got to bring up a couple of pitchers and jettison. Sure. Trade trade out a couple of the, the extra guys on the bench for a couple of pitchers, um, especially. You know, let's say it's a, it's a Bryce Wilson or somebody like that. I mean, he wasn't – I don't believe he was on the – I don't have it in front of me. I don't think he was on yeah. the wild card roster. Um, right. if, if he's somebody – and based on how the last couple weeks of the season went where he had a couple starts there where he looked, you know, pretty pretty good, right. pretty solid, then maybe he is well, your game four guy. Well, you remember that game where uh, – I don't know if it's Josh Tomlin got knocked out early and Bryce came in and gave us five or six innings during the middle of the game – uh, and, and if that was to happen in a series like this or even in, in LCS, that is huge because you save your bullpen. So if you have a guy like that, that, you know, you're starting – then you give your offense, if they can shut them down for four or five innings, it gives your offense a chance to get you back in the game. But I did write down a, a couple keys. Number one, the, the Marlins haven't lost a playoff series. They've been talking about that. Um, don't, don't think that doesn't mean something because it does. Um, it's just one of those weird things. Even though none of those players were on any of those other playoff teams, it is something about it. It's just weird. It just happens. Uh, the other thing is if you, the Braves have outscored the Marlins 68-44, to 44, but you take away those 29 runs, I mean, we're, we're basically pretty much even. Um, 
you know, pretty close to that's a pretty even, even though it's six and four, one of those games was a, was lopsided. So it could be five and five, you know, you never know. And then um, I, the other thing is who's playing with the bigger chip on their shoulder are the, are the Marlins because they're, they were the last team, you know, they're the last seeded team um, or, you know, they're not getting much respect. Do they have a chip on the shoulder? Cause nobody expected them to be there. They lost a hundred and a hundred gazillion, you know, uh, games in the last few years. Do they have a bigger chip or to the Braves because they're not getting any respect and the Braves have just, they won their first series since 2001. So I think there's a chip issue there who has the biggest chip. So those are kind of my things that I look for outside of, you know, actually what's going on on the field between pitchers and, you know, offense and defense and all that. Those are kind of those intricacies that I look at too, as well. I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a great point. And the Marlins have, in addition to everybody picked them to everybody had the NL East as this, this four team juggernaut that are all going to be competing for the division. And then the Marlins in fifth place, myself included, if you go back to probably an early July episode of behind the Braves, you'll probably hear me say it. I mean, I was right there with everybody else and they've taken that bottom feeders uh, moniker and they're running with it and they're fueling themselves off of it. And it's, Good for them. I can't remember. It's one of the commentators for the Phillies, I guess, said that after the the first series yeah. game of the season, called him bottom the bottom feeder. And, wow. And and so and they've and they've taken that and run with it, and they all got the shirts on there. And oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so and, and good for them. I mean, that's what you got to do. They're they're taking that. Hey, and then hey, you, what was the what was the T-shirt that Acuna was wearing today in BP? Uh, it was a run. Uh, uh, runs ATL or ATL runs. It was a T-shirt that was made d- directly as a result of the 29 runs game against the Marlins. That was okay. the shirt he was wearing. Uh, it's not made by the Braves, but another company makes it, and uh, it was in com- to commemorate that 29 run game. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was the shirt he was wearing in BP today. Hey, hey, another thing that I loved was Bauer was responding. I was looking at his Twitter feed, and after, um, at some point. Before the game, he was saying, "Hey, if if we're so bad, how is it? How is it that there were four teams out of the Central that made the playoffs, right? And now, how many teams are left from the, in the Central playoffs? There is nobody from the Central in either league left in the playoffs. <laughs> no, I love that. That's one of those odd things you just look at. It's like, how does that? How did that even happen? You know, it's crazy. Wow, six teams from the AL and the NL Central, four being from the NL, all made the playoffs." All of them gone. It's crazy. I, I thought I'll tell you from the white from the uh, the AL side. I I really thought the White Sox had a uh, a great chance. I kind of thought they were riding the momentum and and look confident, and I thought they were going to get through. But three game series. I mean, any anything's possible. Right. Um, what do you think about? Uh, I, I will tell you this: as it's all worked out, I don't love sixteen teams making it in a regular season in this crazy 2020 60 game sprint we've had I like it and I think it's been an appropriate way to decide it all I think it's just because the regular season had to be so much shorter I love that we ended up having so many teams in the postseason with with a chance at it um as scary as it was for one of the quote-unquote favorites in in the Braves and my team to have to face a hot team a hot seven seed team in that best of three first round Overall, I still really, really love this format for this this year, and I yeah. 
I have a feeling, and then it's not exactly a secret. Like I think they're going to try to keep it. They're going to try to expand the playoffs for even when we go back to a normal season, presumably next year. But but I hope it's not 16. I've heard 14 bandied about. Um, whatever but but just focusing on this year i will say i very very much enjoyed the the 16 team format just for this style of season i don't know what you well i i think the one and two seats should have a bias so if you put it to 14 you know or you put it to 12 i guess if it's 12 then you get two buys in each league right Mm -hmm. so um i yeah i think there's something to be said if you finish first and second in the national league then, then you should have a benefit. You shouldn't have to play a hot wild card team that comes in. But third, you know, third on down to, um, you know, for the rest. So I think that that's, that would be appropriate. But I do like the expanded playoffs. I don't like the one card, the one game wild card. Right. I would, I would rather have this format with some with two teams getting by something like like NFL the NFL does. You get two teams to get a bye, and um, and then everybody else has to play in, and so there is a wild card round. But I think that wild card round I like would be the best of three. I like that too. That's and that's yeah. kind of what I think. I think that's what right. should do too as well. Is yeah. And I don't want and I, that that first wild card round needs to be no more. I don't like that. I don't like the single game either. I think it has to be best of three, uh, because if you go any longer than that, then the the teams that get a bye, yeah. then are just they haven't played in too long at that point. So right. And I, I guess you could go to fourteen. Right I, I mean, I, I guess you could do fourteen, but then that means the number one seed's the only one that gets a bye in each league. Right. I, I'd like to see it where at least one and two get it not just because we were second, you know, this year, but I think one and two, you know, um, I think that that's appropriate. And I think that that would be good, but not three, you wouldn't want to make any more than that. But um, so, so for me, I guess I would go for 12 teams. Yeah. I, I like that. I think if you're talking about, if they're talking about potentially going to 14 or 16 teams, making the postseason, then, then at that, at that point, then I think, Again, I'll say it again, for a 60-game 2020 season, I love it. It's fine. But if you're going to make that a permanent part of the game, then you really got to, in my opinion, you have to look at making some drastic changes to the regular season and either uh, shortening it a good bit uh, yeah. because it's just having a 162-game schedule Oh, yeah. and then having 16 teams make it, uh, then you're yeah. just playing – that's way too many regular season games if over half the – literally yeah. – over half the teams are going to make it. That's just, that's why have 162 games then in my Sure. Well, I was talking to Bob Warner the other day. He called me and, um, cause he lives out there in Arlington near Arlington. And, um, he's like, I don't understand. I, I don't know if you've been, you remember Bob. He's like, I don't know how they, yep. <laughs> what they're doing. He goes, they haven't won anything. Why don't we expanded playoffs? When I played, you know, we had two teams, you know, the other, Two teams with the National League Championship. You know, you won the East and the West. They, you won something. You won the, you won the East. You won the West. Then you go to the playoffs. Um, so, you know, from from the way it was, you think about the the fewer amount of teams and what you had to do over 162 games. I mean, think about this. We beat the we beat the Giants. They won 104 games and didn't get squat. Right. I mean, you talk three, right? Yeah, you talk about a tough bill a tough pill to swallow 
And then right after that's when we had the, you know, the expanded playoffs a little bit. Um, the next year we, they broke them out in the divisions, but that was tough. And so I don't like that either. I think that if you play for that long and you've had a good season, you should be able to get a chance to go to the playoffs. But, you know, what that balance is, I'm not sure. But I, I have liked, I have enjoyed this year. I think it'd be tough to have this many playoff, an extra round, as well as play 162 games and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I agree with you. It, it'll make it a little bit difficult. But it'll be interesting to see what they have, what they what they come up with. I've been shocked as a fan because I've, for a lot of years, I considered myself much more of a, a baseball purist. I've been – shocked and younger versions of me would be very upset with current version of me for ending up embracing a lot of these rule changes that we've seen. I think I just came into this season. I was so happy we had a season and I at least understood reasoning behind some of the rule changes for this year. I got it. Um, that I'm just like, you know, let's just, if we're ever going to trial this stuff, this is might as well try it now. That's fine. And this is, and I know it's not just me because some guys I've I've worked alongside in the press box, we've talked about this, and we've all kind of said pretty much all the changes. Now we're talking about act like game changes for the regular season, um, you know, not playoff format necessarily. Because yeah. you and I just right. debated that or just talked about that, and that's its own separate beast, I think. Um, but the rule changes, by and large, I've I've honestly enjoyed all of them. I, mm-hmm. I there were times where I literally got into arguments out with friends at bars over the designated hitter should not only stay in the, the national league, it should be abolished from the American league. And <laughs> I'm here. And it hasn't even been that yeah. long ago, really it, in the grand scheme of things, eight or nine years ago, I remember like having legit arguments with people about that. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm just, after watching it this year, I'm like, okay, I, I'm fully, I've, I've done a full 180 on that. And I, and I think, yeah, and honestly, the DH is coming, whether it's next year or 2022, it's coming anyway. Yeah. So I haven't missed the seeing the pitcher hit. I haven't either. And that and I feel like maybe that's the big difference too. Why I used to argue so much against it was not that like say Glavin Maddox Smoltz were up there just like hitting hitting bombs every time they came to bat, but I felt like they were up there at least having competitive at bats and mm-hmm. they could get a yeah. bunch down and that sort of thing. And like it or not. It's just that's just pitchers knowing how to do a lot of that stuff just isn't part of the game now. It's just it's not. Yeah. And watching pitchers hit by and large, there's some that can still hit, but by and large, it's just tough to watch pitchers hit anymore. So I, I'm all in on keeping the DH. I really thought I was going to hate the extra inning rule, the runner on second. I gotta say, I I I don't hate it. It it it's it goes in such against everything I believe. Like used to believe as a baseball purist, <laughs> but. I'm like, you know, it's uh, – I do agree with – and even in the future, let's say they keep that extra the extra runner rule in, in the regular season. I would like to see it stay away from the postseason. I really would. I don't I don't love it in the postseason. I'm glad they're not keeping that part for the postseason. Well, it's hard for me because when I left the game, I started teaching and then I coached a little bit. And it just seemed like it was a peewee little league – uh, travel ball thing and so now to see it in the big leagues it just seems like it's just it's amateurish you know and it's not there's really not a place for it you know we got professional ball players that should be able to play I can understand kids you don't want them out there all day long we're trying to protect them whatever but you got grown men out there they need to play the game the way it was designed to play so I'm having a hard time with that 
I'll tell you one rule that's that's gone that nobody even talks about is the is the batter's face rule, three minimum batter's face. I mean, that's uh, all I know is that we're making it easier on these managers. I, I hope they're getting paid less because my <laughs> God, you're taking out the you're taking out the uh, the the pitchers hitting. You take you're doing a you're you know batter's face minimum three batters. There's no decision to make there. Uh, you put a man on second base, and, you know, in extra innings. I mean, so I mean, what what they they don't argue the plays, they don't argue the calls anymore because uh, you got instant replay. I mean, my God, what is, what do they have to do? Well, I mean, you still, you, I mean, uh, I are think are they psychologists I, now? I think they're just they better get a psychologist. <laughs> That's about all they need. Well, after the season's over, let's have Snit on, and you can ask him. So, what do you do <laughs> <Yeah>. now? <laughs> right. He's got a nice wine collection. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't thought much about the three batter minimum thing. I, I'm because it. I feel like it's so little affected my viewing of the game and enjoyment of it. Like it just hasn't affected it either way. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they want to keep that, it's fine. I mean, I guess the the idea of it is to help speed up the game. I don't know that I don't I don't think it's I haven't seen any evidence that it's done that. No. Um, I don't hate it from the, the 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 standpoint of at times when you see when you see a guy going batter by batter and you're seeing three or four pitchers in an inning. I I will admit as a fan, I'm just like, oh gosh, I'm just there is that part of me. It's like can we just leave a pitcher in to face three or four guys? Like, yeah, I don't know if I'm right. right or wrong to feel that way. So maybe from that standpoint, I guess I'm literally talking myself more into this role as we're sitting here talking. No, who's the joker that manages the Giants? <laughs> Gabe Kapler? That's that's the Gabe Kapler rule. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that's that was – yeah. When he was – That's a joker. That, the joker that was, out there. That was, a little, that was a little tough to watch him manage. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, but – by and large, I think, well, whether whatever our opinions are, are, I think most of these rules are here to stay. I don't know if all of them are, and maybe some of them go away for 2021, but like it or not, I think a lot of it's it's coming, and I think we're going to have expanded playoffs. I don't think that there's mm-hmm. – and there's some crazy – there's some crazy proposals out there. I think uh, Joel Sherman, uh, which I forget, he's New York right, national writer, but I eat – New York Post, maybe one of the New York papers, I think, yeah. is his, his home base. Um, he had this this proposal out there where it's like it's something where like the regular season would actually expand to like 170 some games, but you would play eight inning games and then institute more seven inning double headers and actually be playing. You'd have like 10 ish more games in the season. But innings-wise, you're not adding anything, and you would actually end up with more days off. I mean, it's this, it's it's wild what's being thrown out out there right now. So mm-hmm. it's crazy to see where we might end up. Oh, that's another thing. Thought I was going to hate seven-inning doubleheaders. Didn't hate seven-inning doubleheaders. Liked them. Liked hey, them a lot. We, we did those in college, and as a player, I loved them. I loved seven-inning complete games. Yeah. I, I had a few of those. And uh, pitching seven-inning games were nice. So I'm I'm not opposed to that, but there again, it it's kind of amateurish a little bit. But but a double header, nine inning double header is not is not fun. No. So I'd rather not have double headers. Period. But if you're going to have them, make them seven innings. 
I think I, yeah, I'm okay with that. I, I, I found myself like, yeah, seven inning double headers is like, that's, I don't know why, because it's only two innings less per game, but man, it just seems like so much more enjoyable than a, than a, than a nine inning double header. It just, it just did. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Everybody I'm working around felt the same way. It's like, yes, yeah, sign us up for this. And yeah. not, and we all love the game. It's not some like, Oh, get us out of here as soon as possible. That's not it. It just, it felt like a more, enjoy- this is me putting my fan hat on. If you're going to have two games in a day, it felt like a more enjoyable product to me watching mm-hmm. two seven games. Um, yeah. And take that for what it's worth. That's, I don't have this great statistical, way to back that up or anything. That's just how I felt in the couple right. participated in, you know? Well, and I will say the biggest disappointment this year is I, I, I honestly have Zoom fatigue. Yeah, me and you both. This, that has been tough. Zoom and Microsoft uh, Teams fatigue. And uh, that's one thing I will not miss. And I hope we get past this, this whole health crisis and uh, 2021 is a brand new year. And we got a different outlook because I've got cauliflower ear from my mic, from my headphones. <laughs> I think my eyes are going bad from all the zooming and uh, I'm just, uh, I'm over it. There's a, so when I was a kid, little kid, one of my favorite movies was um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And there's a scene <laughs> in Who Framed Roger Rabbit towards the end where the main detective, uh, oh gosh, uh, Eddie Valiant, that's, his, that's the character's name where he's uh, getting ready to go to, to Toontown anyways. Before he goes into Toontown, he gets out this fancy little gun case of his, and he's a private investigator, and this is his fancy gun, and it's a cartoon gun. It's, it's a whole other thing, but it's a fancy gun, and he opens it up, and there's just all this dust and stuff he has to blow off of it. And, and the gun and the bullets are all animated because they're part of the movie, part of the characters. And they're like asleep and they have to wake up because they've been asleep for years because he hasn't opened this case for years. That's how I feel about our case with all of our podcast equipment in it. Yes. I'm going to have to blow go. the dust off of it, open it up, remember how it works because we haven't gotten to use it in months and months. So I look forward to us not being like not doing this over zoom and being back at the lounge, the alumni lounge. Oh yeah. We haven't even been the alumni lounge. I mean, it's, it's uh, probably a, we're going to have to scrape the cobwebs off the ceiling. No doubt. No doubt. That's right. Well, I'm looking, hopefully we're getting closer and closer to that, uh, that day. Yeah, me too. Day. But, but uh, maybe, you know what, maybe if the Braves win the 2020 world series, maybe we make that our first episode. Maybe they'll let us back in there for uh, nice. a, a world series celebratory episode of behind the Braves. I say we just sneak in there. All right. Well, I'll just we got we'll both wear our masks and get in there, and we'll be fine. We'll socially <laughs> distance. Hey, hey, I got to tell you something funny. So I'm going to the bank because you know we're in the process of moving, and so I want to put things into a safety depo- my safety deposit box. So you know you have to call for an appointment at the bank. So I'm carrying a bag with a mask on to the bank door. And I'm thinking, and I'm crossing the street. I'm thinking, there's something wrong about this picture. <laughs> so I'm knocking on the door at the bank, and they come and open up. And I said, "Listen, this is crazy. I've got a bag, and then I've got a mask on, and I'm coming to the bank. I'm surprised I'm not getting pulled over by the police right here." <laughs> yeah, if you were wearing, if you've been wearing, you should have been wearing a bandana and a cowboy. That's hat right. That's it. right. Well, um, I am so excited to see where the Braves go from here. I listen. The Marlins—they've never—we've said it before—they've never lost a postseason series. 
They nobody thought they'd get to the postseason. They did. Nobody thought they. I don't think a lot of people thought they'd get past the first round. They did. So I'm not looking past them at all. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but I'm confident in our our team's chances. And um, I, I hope that when you and I, well, we're going to be recording again here in a couple of days. But I hope next week that we're re, you and I are reconvening for an LCS preview episode, uh, as we are for this NLDS preview episode. So uh, I'm very excited, and I just I can't wait to see the guys out there. I think this is this is one of the deepest and best Braves teams we've had in a long time around here. Flat, plain and simple. How far they go, I don't know. I mean, you, we started off. We started off this episode with you talking about the, the breaks. You got to get the breaks to go your way, and that's going to be true this series. But one through twenty-eight, I, I love this team as much as any I've watched um, in a generation, probably. Um, so I'm very excited to see now that we're kind of getting to a little bit more of a traditional feel, even though it's a neutral site with no fans yet. A best of five is, is a little bit more traditional, and I'm excited to see what this roster can do. And, um, yeah, yeah it's going to be a fun three to five days. Uh, hopefully it's three if I get my wish. If Greg gets his wish and it's four, that's fine with me too. Uh, but it's going to hey, be – Hey, yeah. We're going we're to be out at the, uh, the watch party. So if you haven't gotten your ticket for the watch party, you guys come on out. Uh, we've got uh, tickets on the field and the Infinity Club. Um and uh, it should be a lot of fun. I'll be out there. All the staff are going to be out there, and we're going to be watching on the big screen. So if you guys uh, haven't gotten your ticket yet, go on Braves.com and, and uh, get a ticket for the watch party. It should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, we've all been so distanced from each other this year, and I've seen it online, a lot of Braves fans who are normally at a lot of games, and then they'll plan. They'll come in from out of out of town from all over the place, especially like me working in social media. I'll see Braves fans that have become friends through, you know, they live in different States, different places, different cities, different parts of Atlanta, where different parts of Georgia, wherever, and they become friends over Twitter through this mutual mm-hmm. love in the Braves. And I've seen multiple people, multiple couples have gotten married as a result of just being Braves fans on Twitter wow. or whatever. Um, and so Braves games in a normal year become the gathering place. And obviously we haven't had that this year. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's for our fantasy camp, fantasy campers too. You know, these guys are season ticket holders, and they meet they meet at the games around the country as well as at at uh, at Truist Park. Absolutely, and so obviously the, the all the proper protocols are going to be in place. But I feel like the the watch parties for these games are our first, maybe your first chance out there to to congregate in a responsible manner, uh, but but to be able to congregate and. and uh, have fun with your fellow Bra- fellow Braves fans and come on over to our house and watch the game on the big screen. It should be fun. <laughs> so, right. all right. Well, looking forward to seeing what our guys can do this week. Should be a, should be a fun week. And we got a chance at it. We're in the postseason. That's all you can ask for. So looking forward to it. And uh, for Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. Hey, Braves country. We just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves presented by Billy Reed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.